Hi, this is Tamson Granger. This is Dan Abuha. With Tamson today and Dan Read the Paper on Sunday, July 2nd, 2023. Right. Hot, hot and steamy. It is hot and steamy. We're inside, though. Fireworks have begun. Mm-hmm. We heard them last night. We it didn't is. see them, but we heard them. Well, it rained just about the same time you heard the fireworks. It didn't really rain. Well, <laughs> what? Yeah. We just didn't go to the fireworks. Oh, no, it was a problem. Yeah. But anyway, it's July. Yeah. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about, honey. A lot to talk about. Okay, where do you want to start? I think we should start with what turned out to be a problem that no one could anticipate. Pickleball. Pickleball noise. Pickleball noise. In other words, everybody loves pickleball. Almost everybody. Almost being except those who live next door to the pickleball courts. I don't think everybody loves pickleball, but a lot of people are enjoying it. It's very accessible. Uh, it's fun to do, and it doesn't take uh, much investment. We played okay? last night, yes. Well, well, we have a little uh, we have a little blacktop area where we can set up a um, pickleball net. Yeah. And uh, I've been uh, forcing you at gunpoint to rally with me <laughs> a little right. bit, or volley with me, whatever you're, it's called. You're raising your game. And, no question uh, about it. Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm never going to be a player, but... Uh, I feel like it's good for, you know, hand-eye. No, you play fun. And, uh, you know, I'm not really a racquetball kind of person. But people love it. It's a great social engagement. um, And it attracts apparently all ages. So much so that people living near pickleball courts are going crazy with the noise. Really, that's an exaggeration. A couple of people whining about it, right? I mean, no, no. You see, you see an article every twenty minutes. Really, actually, people and, complaining uh, about the noise. People are beginning to litigate. Well, which I know is uh, me, music to your ears. I know. It's people litigate over the dumbest things at the drop of a hat. A, no one's less of a believer in, in litigation than. But, I am. but it's a, but it's a real conundrum because how noisy is it? I mean, I understand when, the when ball makes a some community, noise. Well, it, I, the, you know. The, Somebody, of course, has measured it. Um, in this article in the New York Times, they refer to Bob Unitic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unitic. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And uh, a retired engineer, an avid ball pickleball player, avid pickleball player, who has become one of the foremost authorities on muffling the game. He, he has a company called Pickleball Sound Mitigation. Mm-hmm. And he says that pickleball wax from 100 feet away, could reach the 70 dBA, mm-hmm. similar to some vacuum cleaners. Okay. As opposed to everyday background noise that tops off at about 55. So, I don't know. You can hear it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean... I don't know exactly what that means, but they, and they, he also brings up... I have up no idea at all what that means. That the type of sound, the whack, yeah. and the, it causes vibrations yeah. that are very annoying you know what the key word to the human ear. In the description of this fellow was retired. I mean, people have too much time on their hands. They're going to worry about stuff like this. I look, no, he, I, he's not worried about it. He's he's an avid player. Yeah. He's making money off of it. Wow. That, okay. okay. Maybe that's the key. <laughs> he, hey, look, it, it makes, he is helping people. It, it's a hard plastic ball. So it makes a noise when it hits the uh, hard surface. And it makes a noise when it hits the hard paddle. It I mean, it's that simple. Tick, tock, tick, right. tick, tock, It's tick, not tock. like an explosion, but it's uh, But it it's a noise. monotonous it's sort of... It's not tennis. It's uh, louder than tennis. Yeah, it's louder than tennis. 
And it's at all times of day. You know what it is, too? Lasting into the night. You know what it is, too? Because the pickleball courts are smaller than the tennis courts. When you replace tennis courts with pickleball courts, you have quite a few courts. And when they're all playing at the same time, you get a a lot of cacophony. A cacophony. It's a good word. Yeah. Um, But no, I I feel, you know, I feel bad for these people. There is something about a nonstop noise in the background that's not like rainfall gently on your roof. Let me ask you a question. And and what do you do about it? And on the other hand, you know, People are using, you know, recre- recreation yeah. facilities. So that's what I, it's, it's outside, so you getting have to... exercise, fresh air, right. socializing. It's a fabulous thing. You know, how can you be motivated to put a stop to this? You know, you again, this is space that was previously set aside for tennis courts, generally speaking. But it's a quiet game, and maybe the courts weren't even uh, used at a high level. What happened, for example, if you had changed the tennis courts to basketball courts? And... And you got a bunch of kids going to the basketball court. Do you think that would be any less noisy? Yeah, it would be noise. That's I think true. it would be about the same. I so I don't I don't think it's pickleball. No, but, they, but it's a different kind of noise. You know, the ball bouncing makes a noise. Running around and the shouting, kids screaming makes a know, noise. Yeah, etc. But the that's very good sound. It never I, I, I like the sound of that. I like the sound. Well, you wouldn't like it. They, you know, they quote a lady who's who's lived somewhere for a long time. Yeah. You know, when it, people used to play tennis, it was a gentle thump. Yeah, thump I understand. Kind of they liked it better when people and played now tennis. And uh, now it's not so much. Yeah, live with it. So, uh, you know, pickleball is exploding yeah. in the United States. You know what the answer is? Hedges. people. Put in I mean, hedges. They're, they're beginning to be battles about it, yeah. you know. <laughs> well, what they're going to do is they're going to have paddles that are softer and now will they say they are trying to, um, you know, some people are switching to different paddles. Or they change the, they'll little change little the ball. Well, change the ball to be but just then, as bouncy and less, uh, you know, hard surface. There must be a way to do that, yeah, right? Yeah, I, I think that's a problem that can be solved. That's okay. a problem that can be solved. Well, we hope it does because... Uh, so here's another problem. Unless it is the sound to the players that yeah. makes it so satisfying. No, I don't think that's true. Um, here's a problem that was solved in advance. This is, this is your, your antitrust officials at work doing something positive, which is uh, hard to imagine these days. So we have to go back into the past. Uh, A lot of people swear by antitrust officials. I'm a big, uh, yeah, until this administration, I was with you. Okay. Okay. But don't get me started on that. I mean, uh, you know, this administration has its own laws. I guess uh, that's a different story. Uh, But uh, here's my point. Let's go back to when the antitrust was uh, following the law. And this would be in 2012. And why are we going back to 2012? What takes us there? What takes us there is the story of Bud Light. Now, you've seen, it's been a lot in the newspaper about the fact that Bud Light ran into a huge controversy when they enlisted a transgender influencer for a social media campaign this spring. And as a result of that, uh, they suffered a lot of negative publicity. A lot of Bud Light drinkers say, no, we don't want to associate with this beer. And their beer sales have dropped precipitously, really seriously, in a large part large parts of the country, so much so that they are now no longer the number one beer in America. They have been displaced. And they say that's due to this boycott? Well, I'll get there. Yes and no. Uh, First of all, who were they displaced by is the question you have to ask yourself. Modelo. Well, that's right. You knew the answer. But most people would have thought Coors Light or Miller Light Mm -hmm. or Michelob Ultra. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. 
It's Modelo, in particular, Modelo Especial, uh, which is their lighter beer. There's mm-hmm. a Negro Modelo, which I drink, but yeah. that's not it. Uh, Modelo Especial is now number one instead of Bud Light. Um, so this is an interesting development. And uh, is it all about the transgender influential controversy? No, it's not. It turns out that Modelo Especial has been getting to the level of Bud Light over some period, and it was inevitable that they were going to displace Bud Light. It's not just because of this. And why is that? Why was it inevitable? Because they've been increasing in sales, and Bud Light has been decreasing in sales over some time. All right? Enough that Modelo was <coughs> destined to be number one. So why? how do we get to antitrust? Why is that important? And here's why it's important. This would never have happened, or could never have happened, uh, if the deal that uh, a deal that was proposed in 2012 was allowed to go through as planned. What was that deal? The company that owned Budweiser was buying Grupo Modelo, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that included, Grupo Modelo included Modelo Especial, Negro, uh, uh, Negra Modelo, and, Cor- and not Coors Light, um, Corona. Right, mm-hmm. and the government stepped in and said, "No, uh, you can't do that." Uh, they went to AB InBev. That was the company that owns Bud, who was doing the transaction. Said, "You can only do your deal if you allow the, or if you send the U.S. operations, the U.S. sales of Modelo and Corona, whatever, to another company. Basically, you have to divest your interest in those brews." In the U.S., mm-hmm. all right, and uh, AB and Bev was very unhappy about that, but they eventually agreed. And it was an odd thing for them to assist upon at the DOJ because at that point, Modelo Especial was number ten in the U.S. Mm-hmm. But the government had it in its head, and they, they it focused in particular on Bill Baer, who I'm familiar with, who was who was just had just become the head of the Antitrust Enforcement Agency at the time. Who it was his first, uh, you know, fight, mm-hmm. and it turns out he's from Milwaukee, which means he's a big beer drinker. Mm-hmm. He was totally into this, mm-hmm. and he was he would not bend on this. Mm-hmm. He said the Mexican beers, and by the way, Modelo Especial is brewed in Mexico. It's mm-hmm. important to the U.S. Mm-hmm. He said the Mexican beers were an important price constraint, and therefore an important competitive constraint on the U.S. beers like Bud Light. So that Bud Light should not be allowed to buy them mm-hmm. because you wanted to have this, this vigorous competition. And it turns out he was right. What happened was the company to whom uh, Modelo Special was divested, a group called Constellation, invested heavily, and that's the way these things grow, in uh, Modelo Special and Negro Modelo. And they grew tremendously, so much so that Modelo Especial is now about to become the number one beer in America. And that would have never happened mm-hmm. if the DOJ had allowed the deal to go through in 2012. Um, so it's it's an odd story. Now, it, it it is eye-opening here because I don't think of Modelo Especial as that big a beer. And there's a reason for that. Uh, it's a huge beer in California. Mm-hmm. And that's where it's racking up all these sales. Modelo is bigger in California than Bud Light, Coors Light, Miller Light, and Budweiser combined. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit of a regional story. Mm-hmm. It's not like uh, Bud Light is really suffering in the Northeast. But mm-hmm. in any event, 
Uh, it's still an interesting story in how antitrust really affects things. And, uh, you know, you're smiling when I say that. Well, that sounds like the beginning, the introduction to the speech you'll give your uh, antitrust students uh, next fall. Right. So are you going to use that as a... I uh, should keep it, yes. Who here drinks Modelo Especial? Well, it's an interesting story about this. And then they'll all start nodding off, right? (laughs) No. That's what you're telling me. Well, no. Don't you choose some of these uh, cases as uh, test cases for the students to... Right. Um, well, I, what I could do is I could uh, use it, but when I use them as test cases, I say, pretend that you are the lawyer for the company that wants to do the deal. So I would say to them, pretend you're the lawyer for InBev mm-hmm. and you want to acquire Modelo Special in the U.S., mm-hmm. make your case. Mm-hmm. And between you and me, I, I could have won that case. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> but there are ways to, I don't, I don't know how well they did it. And I don't know how Doug and Bill, Bill Bear would say. And Bill Bear even concedes that. If it had gone to trial, he might have lost, but mm-hmm. he thought they would back down, and they did. So, mm-hmm. interesting, huh? Yeah. Mm. yeah. You haven't heard that about all the Bud Light stuff, have no, you? No, I hadn't. Like, of course, you hear a lot about the trans uh, right. boycott. Right. So, well, that's but, not the big story. It's the antitrust that's a big story. It really always comes down to economics. <laughs> economics. Uh, speaking of economics, yeah. um, buffet restaurants are back. Great. <laughs> Well, I just thought it was interesting. Okay, so, you know, the buffet kind of died a serious death during COVID Mm -hmm. um, because nobody wants to, you know, go through a buffet line next to people and everybody's, you know, sneezing on the food. If you're going to wash your groceries when you get home, you're not going to eat a buffet. Right. Right. Um, But it did not um, go away altogether. I mean, it, it's back. Apparently, people still feel the uh, desire to get a good deal for yeah. their money. So the lower end buffets yeah. um, really uh, are still a thing or yeah. are once again a thing. Yeah, Gro- told, growing told, like crazy. Like here. the Golden Corral, you told me, is a buffet. I yeah, I think that. that's like fifteen to sixteen ninety nine. Well, that's not for nothing. all you can eat. That's, that's not, not nothing. nothing. No, but um, it's it can be a lot of food for the money. Yeah. Okay. We, you know, most restaurants now you easily rack up over fifteen dollars. I'd like a to think I can get in and out of Chili's for less than fifteen ninety nine. I don't know about that. Well, have you ever looked at a Chili's menu? Not recently. Okay. I don't think you can do that. Oh, really? Okay. All right. Uh, you know, if if you were a little more nimble, I'd put you on your phone right now and say, you know, Google Chili's, find the menu and uh, see what. But I have, I have a feeling by the time if you order a beer and... Well, uh, a beer. The, the Golden Corral price doesn't come with a beer. All right. So let's... let's well, that's a, true. Yeah. Okay. But All right. right. So in any event... I'm saying, I'm saying in general, you're spending... X amount of money yeah. anyway. So, all right. And uh, then also there's the high-end Yeah, well, that's buffets. Las Vegas. The buffets in Las Vegas. Right. You know, these brunches that cost $50, $60, $70. But they're very high-quality I mean, food. Insane. They're high-quality food. Look, you know, no, it, the other food may be fine, too. No, no. It's what not, do you know about the, high quality? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, 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 the kinds of food. It's like uh, shellfish kind and of crab legs. So, so and, what? You're still spending $70. I mean, it's well, nothing to sneeze steak at. Steak is on the menu. <laughs> yeah, they say, I think it's the Bellagio that does 4,000 pounds of crab All right. legs a yes. day. You're making my a point. A day. You're making my point. So, you know, I mean... Uh, 
you're right, it's expensive stuff and, you know, hundreds of pounds of uh, prime rib as well. Yeah. So that's interesting. But a lot of the middle range places just did disappear. So I don't know what the difference is between uh, why people are still still interested in the um, lower end bargain so and the higher end and the middle doesn't quite work. I, you know, I... So Mohonk went back and forth with buffet. I don't. I forget where they are now. Are they not buffet? We've been going to Mohonk uh, and seen buffet. Yeah, they're not buffet. They have a buffet brunch. Lots, buffet lots brunch. of places have a buffet brunch or whatever. <laughs> right. And there are plenty of those. What, well, what, see, what we're really talking about is those big, you know, buffet restaurants. Which I, by the way, have never been to one. Yeah. Well, I'll take you to one. But here's my point. <laughs> If we, we've talked already about you know the, the uh, deterioration of service, lack of service, hard to hire. Buffet would be a solution to that, right? So you know it, 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 it's, it has promise. Yeah, but uh, you know, still something that uh, you know, if what people are really looking for is not massive quantities of food, but the whole experience, which would include service. Yeah, I mean, because you're still not having you know, you go to a buffet. Yeah, you got you know as much food as you want and whatever you want and you can see it so you know what you're getting. Uh, there are many good points, but you're not sitting down and yeah. being served and well, relaxing well, see, I and think the solution, et cetera. The ideal solution is the cafeteria line. If I were up to opening a restaurant now, I'd have a cafeteria. And uh, the idea, it's not, you know, the massive quantities of food, but you go up, you see your food, you order your food, you get it yourself, you put it on your tray, you sit down. Maybe people bring you a drink or something like that. That, to me, would marry the two concepts. Okay. All right. Well, we grew up going to cafeterias. Right. Did you ever go to cafeterias? Well, the closest we would go to, like, the Sizzler was sort of a cafeteria. Really? That's the way it operated, yeah. Um, because we went to, I think it was S&W cafeterias, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, we thought it was... Fine. Yeah. And again, as a kid, and you never know what anything is. Yeah. You could see right there right. and say, "Oh yeah, I can eat that." Right. And you got and your somebody food. Somebody would sit down, and uh, it was um, cool, and it was less expensive. I, you know, all you can eat doesn't excite me at all. No, but that's the because there's of... only so much you can eat. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like a really good goal, no, does it? No, it doesn't. That, but that's the beauty of the cafeteria. It's not all you can eat. But anyway, in, in case you're wondering, they're back. Then there was another article in the food section of the Times this week uh, mm-hmm. about Superiority Burger. Yeah. Which, if you can believe it, is a vegetarian restaurant. It's hard. It's a review. Got three stars. Wow. Originally in two in 2015, it got two stars. Yeah. And uh, it seems like our dream restaurant. I mean, it's just a little hole in the wall. It used to be even more of a hole in the wall. Barely having tables, maybe it didn't even have tables. Now it has a few tables, and it has uh, what he, what uh, Peter Wells, the critic, um, describes as an unbelievable burger. Okay, with uh, slow roasted tomatoes, eggless mayonnaise, griddled buns, uh, shaped from ground chickpeas, quinoa, carrots, walnuts. Uh, it's just uh, you know fabulous. Then he also describes other stuff that, you know, is a little bit hard to imagine. A um, a collards sandwich on focaccia. Mm-hmm. It's just the greens and the yeah. focaccia and maybe right. some cheese. But when you actually look at the menu and look what's in everything, there's also a vegetarian um, stuffed cabbage. Mm-hmm. And there's some wonderful desserts. Uh, you know, I'm not really doing a good job selling it here. But when it, it's also... 
just a quirky, cool little place that doesn't seem to give a darn about how you really should be doing things. Well, but what strikes me is I'm looking at the photo and it's not a fancy place. I mean, it looks, it's got a facade that looks like it's almost a diner or something. And and that's, that's on purpose. Yeah. It's not like they just rented a place and that sign was there and they'll, okay, we'll stick with it. That's the look they're going for. I know that Lower East Side kind of. I know that Pete Wells gave three stars to a place like that. He, you know, he raves about it. Uh, it's really, you know, everything is, you know, more or less sublime. In fact, this is what, this is how he, he sums it up. Yeah. Superiority Burger isn't just more enjoyable than fast casual chains, which isn't hard. It is also more engaging and alive than some restaurants that cost many times as much. Maybe a few chefs will drop by after midnight for the crab chips and a pasty and realize how dull fine dining has become. Wouldn't that be cool? So, all right. So he's really getting behind it as an antidote to fine dining. It's, yeah. It, and I think, you know, uh, that seems to be somewhat of a trend uh, in many ways. I mean, we read about the simplicity of Ankh Danzig with the broth menu yeah. last week yeah okay yeah and that's not a fancy place right. uh but uh doing something doing it well i guess he's only well. reviewing he's reviewing one place a week so that's what he's that's the kind of places he's reviewing on dancing no, I, I don't think those are the only places he's going to, he's well I, two, I, two weeks in a row that's what he's got you have a few in a row i don't think he's limiting himself i think he is but he's found some good food and he's letting us know about it i would like to go to that restaurant but kind of hard to get yourself to Drive two hours into New York for a fifteen-minute. Well, we can do it, but yeah, we gotta you know make it part of a bigger trip. Um, here's a headline in the journal: Why it's impossible to get your car repaired this summer. Now, I can't honestly say we've run into this, although we hear about this. Uh, it's very tough, they say, to get your car repaired, and the reason is uh, because of a shortage of car parts in the last few years, combined with a dearth of service technicians um this along with the what f- are people doing there's a dearth of all manner well, of I, let me yeah service people they is everybody well, is everybody just at home uh look, the, now? there's an answer to that right first of all according to this they say they need two hundred fifty thousand more service technicians and every year forty-eight thousand people graduate from technical school that are equipped to do this kind of thing so they're running a shortfall. These are the numbers they have in the Wait article. Wait how many do they need? They need two, 258. 258,000. Yeah, these are made up numbers, but take them for what they're worth. Oh, 258,000, okay. and they're graduating 48,000 a year. Now, they, so what is So this, they? you can't just start working after school and you can't. learn the ropes? Not only you can, but there's no they. <clears throat> Someone else can start a new school. I mean, who, they're, they're, these, these are entirely fluid ideas. In fact, the, uh, the car companies are beginning to start you know, uh, more initiate incentives for training and the like, if not starting their own schools. Uh, GM's investing in programs that train technicians. Uh, Ford's giving scholarships, you know, because it's important to the car makers that people, that their cars can get serviced. Otherwise, it's a much harder sell. In particular, the electric vehicles, if they can't, they're harder to service. They're more sophisticated. They're different kind of systems. They need people to be able to service the car. As a matter of fact, one of the ways they sell their cars is they say you're going to get a better chance of get this service than a Tesla. 
because we have all these dealers across. You can get your car service. Well, people have to be able to know how to do it. The new systems make it harder to do that. Right. So there's two things. There's the new EV uh, level of knowledge that's required. On the other hand, the average age of cars keeps going up because of the expense of buying new cars and buying used cars, which persists. So now they say, and this is that I never understand, the average age of cars on the road is 12.5 years. I, I'm telling you, I see this. It's got to be other parts of the country because when we get on the Jersey Turnpike, we do not see average age 12.5 years. We see average but, age 4.5 years. I you think know? there are a lot of uh, cars who are not getting on the turnpike with us. I think they're in different parts of the country. I think especially if you're using, uh, you know... If you're using a car just to uh, run around town. Maybe. That's completely... 12.5 is hard to imagine. But uh, look, the, the answer is more training and frankly, higher salaries, and which will, will, will happen. It will happen. If they keep talking about backups, they can't hire enough people, they, they interview one shop owner after another, said it used to be there are 30 cars in the lot. Now I have 60 cars in the lot that I have to service. I tell people it'll take a month. It's an impossible situation. You raise the salary. I mean, and I'm sure that's happening. So right now, the average salary is uh, something over $1,000 a week. uh, And it keeps going up. And it will continue to go up. Um, So, uh, you know, maybe that will go up to uh, uh, $2,000 a week. Who knows? But uh, it will go up. And you'll get more. That's the way the economy works. I don't know. I'm still worried. What are you worried about? The, uh, the state of American uh, labor. I mean, we, we, we're talking about there's not enough well, they food do service say, people, not enough pilots, not enough FAA. Yeah, well, uh, that's a, it, look, it's, it's a mystery. Now, they, they, not they're not also mechanics. Asked, they say, why why can't you get more people into doing this? They say, <laughs> they offer this. This is, again, speculation. They say uh, the people who would otherwise do this are now getting jobs, uh, computer-type work. That's why I said they're... They're home in their pajamas coding. Well, the words yeah. home in pajamas aren't in the article. I think it's understood. I think we all know what's going on here. Uh, so if they let people do cars in their pajamas, I mean, look, they, they emphasize, I, when I first saw this and the opportunities, I thought this is a good job for you, honestly. I can see you repairing cars. You're very good with that kind of stuff. Uh, but they do say that uh, it's physically demanding. It's physically demanding, and you know it's not like uh, the uh, garages are air conditioned and uh, eh, fabulous places to be. I, 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 mean, I think the, you know. Usually, I, I just have all these memories of going to pick up my car, or going to talk to the car, the guy who's working on my car, yeah. and he's entirely covered in grease. Yeah. He's sweating like crazy. Yeah. Uh, you know, the dealerships aren't like that. I don't think the dealership. No, but uh, just uh, in Look, general, trying to get your car worked on. My point is it's that not appealing. it's not as unpleasant a place to work as it was, you know, years ago when you were a child. I, so uh, I'm not talking about when I was a child. But anyway, I think it's not fabulous conditions. Well, well, probably, the uh, wages will go up. People will get attracted there. That's the way the economy works. You know, well, we better hope so. Yeah. Look, there's such a thing as disruption. The economy doesn't move on a dime. Things happen, and then you see uh, over some relatively short period of time, but it takes some time, people going to the more lucrative areas where the pay is higher and uh, the benefits are greater. And uh, that's the way uh, it should work. I hope so. All right. You have yet another food article, but with a different bent. 
Right. So um, this combines two of my favorite things. Food and frescoes. Yeah. Okay. They, uh, Hard to combine. They recently noticed their, um, I guess, uh, restoring a fresco in the atrium of a home uh, in Pompeii. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, dating back to uh, 79 AD when, you know, Vitruvius, Vesuvius, Vesuvius uh, exploded all over the place. Right. And, uh uh, preserved the last days Pompeii, of Pompeii, yes, right, right. Uh, for us. But um, and in that, it's uh, fresco is a still life mural, basically of some food on a silver tray. There's some fruit. There's a cup of wine, and there's some items on what appears to be a flat round of bread. Mm-hmm. So, as I said, this dates back. Uh, 2,000 years. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, there's excitement. Like, is this the first pizza? Right. Well, not really, okay? If you're talking, you know, really about traditional pizza with tomato sauce, you have to wait till, you know, at least, uh, you know, Columbus brings back tomatoes from the New World. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. So you don't really have a lot of chatter about tomato sauce until the late 17th century. Mm-hmm. Although you do have mozzarella before that. Mm-hmm. You had the mozzarella. Um, I don't know when basil comes into it, but I do know that by the 19th century, Rafael Esposito actually invents the margarita pizza. Okay. I mean, this is the origin myth right. uh, for the um, Queen Margarita of the newly unified Italy. Uh, and those are the colors of the Italian flag, right? Green, white, red, mm-hmm. basil, mozzarella, tomatoes. Oh, okay. But anyway, I, you know, it's just uh, kind of a fun little thing. The, the, the concept uh, that um, nothing is new, <laughs> actually. The pizza is, the whole idea of pizza is at least uh, 2,000 years old. is kind of fun. It's also interesting what the people, you know, had in their frescoes. In those, um, you know, rather upscale Roman homes in Pompeii. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like this, as if to say, I don't know if they actually fed you nice things like what was in the still life or were letting you know that, uh, you know, we could serve you these things. We aspire to these things. These are the kind of things we normally eat uh, um, displayed here on our wall. We don't have too many still lifes in our house. No. No, and, and uh, fortunately, we don't have a uh, volcano nearby. So, uh, you know, it's a lot of stuff that uh, distinguishes. A lot them. of improvements. <laughs> a lot of advantages over what they had going there in Pompeii. All right. Um, basketball. Uh, well, it's not just basketball, but my interest is basketball. But broader subject is ESPN has uh, been doing a lot of cost cutting. Uh, and... Um, Across the board, uh, at all levels, uh, but that and they're part of the, the Disney network, and Disney's been doing cost cutting. So, um, in part, they say because they want to demonstrate that uh, they're cutting all levels, uh, and they want to show the people who are uh, facing layoffs in the uh, lower ranges that even the higher ranges get cut. They are laying off a lot of their very visible broadcast people. I've never seen anything like this before. I'm not 
overly concerned or disturbed. I think a lot of these people find other jobs where they don't need the money, so that's fine. But you never see anything like this. It's like, well, a lot of names that you know, people doing popular broadcasts are suddenly not working there anymore. But if they're popular... I, that doesn't make any difference. They're cutting them. I'm, I'm just telling you, it is a fact. And, and the name that pops out, uh, for me at least, is Jeff Van Gundy. Jeff Van Gundy does the, is their lead uh, WNBA broadcaster. He works as a color man, usually with Mike Breen. Um, and uh, he, um, you know, Mark Jackson sometimes is on the same team with him. You, you recognize him on the left there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's he's clearly well. Jalen Rose, I see all the time. Yeah, too. but Jalen Rose isn't any good. But <laughs> no, not uh, I don't find him interesting. How's that? I mean, other people may. But Van Gundy's been doing it longer, and I'm just going to talk about what interests me. I mean, somebody else. Can all right, all right. About go, on, go on, go on. Van Gundy's great, and then he's he's head and shoulders better than so anyone else. So what on earth is going games. on? If it, you I know, don't know, why do they need to save money he, if they're he, successful? They they. Everyone needs to save money because they have a stock price. And as I said, Disney's doing their across the board. ESPN's part of Disney. Yada, 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 as we say. But but They must be in trouble, Dave. Here's the question. It must not be a success. Let's say they're in trouble. I don't care. Here's, here's the question. What? The question that they always ask is, does it make any difference who's doing the games? And what you hear uh, very often about the Super Bowl when there's some controversy about there's some, you know, NFL changes in terms of who's working on what network and who's got the Super Bowl, someone will ultimately say, it doesn't make any difference. If people want to watch the Super Bowl, they're watching the Super Bowl. They're not saying, I'm only watching the Super Bowl of this guy's doing the announcing. No one tunes in to seeing the announcing. So do you feel that way about the NBA? No. I think that's true maybe of the NBA Finals or NBA Playoffs. But the NBA regular season... You need a decent announcer to keep you into the game. There's not that much at stake. Uh, it's a different kind of thing. And uh, there is a surprising lot of dead time in an NBA game where you really need to fill uh, it with a color commentary. And Van Gundy is, as I said, head and shoulders above anybody else. He'll land with another network. And it is an interesting story only because of what you were saying. It's hard to imagine that they take someone who's clearly superior uh, and just say, yeah, well, you're just part of the group that's going because we can't be paying anybody. Uh, and it's not as if they're saying, um, we just have to get younger. Sometimes that happens. They say, mm-hmm. yeah, well, we don't think the younger people respond to the guy. At the is age it, does of he dye his hair? Is that the issue? Or he like, won't dye his hair? Well, he's losing hair. But, but uh, they're very public and they're saying, no, this has nothing to do with anything but uh, economics and uh, layoffs for that purpose. They're, they're not saying we want to get younger, we want to bring this young guy in. Jalen Rose, for example, is much younger than Van Gundy. He's gone. So there you have it. So it's kind of weird. And I think they're, I think they so are are making you worried? Or are you saying this is just a disruption, everything will resolve? Or it's an opportunity for me to step in at a lower uh, salary. But uh, there's all that going on. There's a lot of talk. Uh, I'm not worried about anything. I got bigger things to worry about than Jeff Van Gundy and the ESPN. But it's just striking, that's all. Again, it comes down to economics. Let me say that one more time. All right. So you, oh yeah, you have this uh, fitness article. Well, you passed this to me. Fitness means more than losing weight. Yeah. So it turns out that uh, um, working out a lot doesn't necessarily help you lose weight. Right. We kind of knew that. Yeah. Um, exercise rarely learn, leads to long-term substantial weight loss since the body will compensate for an energy deficit. 
So should we even bother mm -hmm. exercising? Um, so of course you should. Yeah. All right. Uh, there are all kinds of benefits like uh, better sleep, lower stress, increased energy, reduction in the risk of many diseases. Right. They did studies where, okay, um, they compared people's activity levels and um, people's relative weight or something, mm -hmm. right? BMI, yeah. Uh, and uh, it, uh, I guess the lower weight seems can have a, reduce your risk of mortality no more than 20 percent according right. to these studies whereas the fitness level um will reduce reduce the risk of mortality 40 to 60 yeah so there's much uh, more percent it's much more profound effect on health uh than anything else and if you just have to lose weight you're helping yourself but not that much uh, um so working the, out is key so the article is really about how uh uh well, it's about how it's about not, have, it's not goal, how you look. The goal of losing weight it, yeah. is really uh, not a productive goal. Yeah. Let me put it in a positive way. The article is saying that there are tremendous fitness benefits in working out regularly, irrespective of whether you lose weight or not, is right. really what it's saying. Right. Except that, you, but joining gyms yeah. and everything else is all built around losing weight, tightening up, getting into your bathing suit. It's it's marketing. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so part of this article, which yeah. you may not have bothered to read, yeah. Okay, is about that shouldn't be. I read that. I read let that. Go, I read that. We should let go of those no. uh, kind well, of aspirations that are purely aesthetic and uh, not as valuable yeah. as actually, you know, well, aspiring to yeah, fitness. I, look, I, look okay. you market the way you market. If, if, if you get people to join your no, gym... What because, they're saying is the, the marketing is not good, okay? There's no such thing as the marketing is not good. The marketing is not good. The marketing is not... If people are going... If they're going to market to people that you're going to lose weight and you don't lose weight, yeah. people are not going to exercise, okay? So you have to find ways of making fitness and exercise appealing and enjoyable, and they say one of the ways to do that is yeah. to let go of this image of it's supposed to make you lose weight because yeah. all that does is frustrate you. Yeah. It makes you, you know, annoyed that mm -hmm. you're working out like this because you're not getting the benefits that you feel you should or that a, your doctor right, tells okay, you you okay. will get. Right. Okay. Um, so, the, so the idea is to, you know, set, I guess, yeah. goals in performance um, etc. Yes. To look, if enhance I your enjoyment of the exercise itself. Well, look, yeah, but there's a difference between marketing and studies. Okay, I mean, uh, there's nothing wrong with saying you know get yourself fit. It'll enhance the way uh, you'll like to look at yourself better. But perhaps more to the point, irrespective of that, what do you mean? Everything is wrong with that. Everything is wrong with that, Daniel. No, you okay. let, let me finish. That's why everything's wrong with it. Because then, then you say, but irrespective of that. Uh, there's no question that you get tremendous health benefits from, from working out, uh, Person, regardless of how you, you know, look. Irrespective is such a stupid word. You shouldn't even use that. <laughs> get okay? out of here. But, it's uh, one but, of the best words. No, the what? whole point of this yeah. is you shouldn't even bring that up. Okay. That's not a worthy goal. And it is not effective in terms of getting people to exercise because it's doomed to failure. Okay? Okay. Yeah. All right. 
yeah, look, I'm just uh, marketing to me is a little bit different than uh, you know. This is what it can. This is what it does best. Those are a little bit different subjects. All right. Uh, and I think I don't think you're getting it. Really. I am getting it. You are not getting it. Okay. <laughs> Yes. You you let's face it deep in your soul you believe you don't believe yeah that uh, you believe that if a person is thin they're fit no I don't yes you do I don't see that's but that that that's, that's what everybody di- believes that, oh thank you that's a that's a whole different subject that's the article doesn't even say that that's another negative spin on they're they're talking about what exercise does and doesn't do for you. But the other point, the converse point, which is not in the article, is is someone who's thin necessarily fit? And the article doesn't cover that. But I agree with you. The answer to that is no. Someone who's thin is not necessarily fit. Uh, again, not in the article, but I agree with you. That's the case. They, well, they say that they, they don't put it in terms of fitness. Yeah. They say being thin is not necessarily being healthy. Okay. So that's another okay. way of saying that. Okay. All right. And uh, um, they're really, you know, uh, say limiting... Uh, um, limiting uh, the goal to being thin as opposed to being, you know, improving your fitness yeah. and ha- and having a good time. Yeah. In, in, yeah, well, having a good time too. Yeah, truth okay. is, I, I kind of enjoy working out. If I didn't enjoy working out, I couldn't do it uh, as regularly in, in as In other I words, do. you know, it's just uh, it, it, the promoting the weight loss is more body shaming is what they're saying. Yeah. Now, yeah. But they also want to say the better way to get people to the gym is to pull the focus away from that and to focus on uh, the health benefits that go along with, with uh, working out and finding something but you enjoy. But that's a hard sell. I mean, somebody's going to have to figure something out. Listen, I see plenty of people in the gym who um, are not thin. And I, I can't read people's minds, but... Uh, oh, you and <laughs> I suspect that that's not their goal. I don't really know what it is. No, but you, you you don't really know. You don't know. Okay, but uh, but you know there, there are a lot of people running around saying eat your fruits and vegetables. That's more healthy, and people still won't do that. Well, okay. so but then you sound like a scold. You can't get me. Yeah, food. yeah. That that's the problem. You should exercise. You know, sounds like a scold. Yeah. All right. So um, finally, Alan Orkin passed away. So I, you know, it's funny. It, Alan Arkin, we all know Alan Arkin. Uh, we don't all know Alan Arkin. No? No. Okay. Well, but it's interesting that you say that because uh, Alan Arkin has been in a ton of movies. And uh, and I don't mean ton of movies where he was like a secondary character. A ton of movies where he's the first or second lead in the movie. So if you talk about... Uh, you know, when his career really got going in 1967, all right, in three years in a row, he's in uh, Wait Until Dark, where he's this terrible master criminal terrorizing Audrey Hepburn, all right? He's in The Heart as a Lonely Hunter in 1968, and Carson McCullough's story in which he plays a deaf mute in a heartbreaking movie in which people constantly pour their troubles out to him. Uh, and then in 1970, he's the main character in Catch-22. He plays the Osirian, the, uh, the pilot. Um, you know, three different more than 50% of the people who listen to this podcast don't... were not born. It, yeah, but the movies are still around. And then, but I'm not even... And then in 1979... I'm not sure he's the household name. In 1979, he he's in The In-Laws, 
which you and I saw and thought was the funniest movie we had ever seen in our lives, right? Not quite, but, it, you, you know. Well, look. And it then, was a good movie, but th- again, that was a long time ago. In 1992, he's in Glengarry Glen Ross. Now I'm getting more recent. The Times, Not a funny movie. No, the Times had a whole article just about <laughs> Glengarry Glen Ross. And the, the guy who's writing this article in the Times, who didn't write the obit, said this is the key movie for Alan Arkin. He's so great in this movie. You know, he easily holds his own with Ed Harris and with Al Pacino in this movie. And I was sort of thinking about that. And I, these are just a, this is a small group of movies. And, and, and I'm saying to myself, you know something? What's the big deal? He held his own with Al Pacino and Ed Harris. He's a better actor than Al Pacino. And, 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 and you could make an argument, whatever this phrase means, that he's the, the greatest actor, film actor of his generation. I mean, he's a fantastic actor. And the movies I'm talking about show an enormous amount of range. I think that's all believable. Yeah. It's just it, what makes it interesting yeah. is that I don't think people do. Well, know who that. he is. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, that's right. You, so you're, you're bringing I me think, down to earth. I think saying many, people. many more people will say, yeah, can visualize who is Al Pacino. Yeah. You just threw Alan Arkin out there. I'm not sure... Okay, just the way People I look at the world, Alan Arkin's a bigger okay, deal. Okay, so... Uh, so, look, he won, won a Tony. He won an Academy Award. He won it for Little Miss Sunshine, which is not a great movie in my mind, and his part stunk. But it was like a Lifetime Achievement Award. Nominated for the, for the Best Actor four different times. It's not like people don't know him. But in any event, I uh, take your point. Perhaps, uh, you know, he's in his 90s, so there you go. Uh, name is not a household name. But again, I said of his generation, very few people match up to Alan Arkin. A uh, great actor, tremendously funny, tremendously. The Russians are coming, tremendously funny guy, but at the same time, a very striking, dramatic actor. You agree with that? Yes, I suppose. Okay, good. Well, we haven't watched any Alan Arkin movies in a long time. Well, that's what we're doing tonight. We're watching Wait Until boy, Dark. Boy, <laughs> Wait Until Dark. How about The Russians Are Coming? Okay, The Russians Are Coming. Boy, talk about a movie. You know, that movie was 1966. Mm-hmm. I saw that in a drive-in. You saw that? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I wouldn't have seen it. Twelve years old in the drive-in. My yeah, father took the whole family. Like that when, when you wouldn't go like up, that. We went, no, it's a funny movie. And uh, you know, Disney films. You said like. you saw the Mad, 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 Mad World. That was the one exception. All right, that was the one. But this is in, I, how old, that ilk. When did that come out? How old? That's was older I? than 1966. No, I don't think so. Eh, uh, we can look it up, but maybe it's around the same time. All right, we gotta go. All right. Oh my goodness! Look at the time. All right. So uh, until next week, uh, this is uh, Dan Abuhoff. And if for all those concerned, Hazel's doing great. Yes. Just let you know. Okay. So is Pepper. Can't say much about Zeke and Noel, but Hazel and Pepper are thriving. <laughs> all, right, all right. This is Samson Granger. We'll be back next week. Samson and Dan read the paper. See ya. <laughs>